When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Douglas Wilson has been the senior minister of Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho for 40 years. He's the author of many books, including Reforming Marriage, Empires of Dirt, and Recovering the Lost Tools of Learning. Doug, welcome back to Takeaways. Great to be back with you. Thanks, thanks for the invitation. I always love talking with you. Um, I always feel like my, my mind expands a couple of sizes after our conversations. And, uh, <laughs> and, and tonight, we're, we're going to be talking about cancel culture. Uh, this is something that is, is as, as a phrase, is, is kind of familiar, but some people are still struggling to figure out exactly what it means and if it's legitimate or not. And you wrote a book back in 2015 called Rules for Reformers. And as I review that book, it feels like it was meant for our day today. Would you, yes. would you help us understand um, what exactly is cancel culture? Yeah, cancel culture is a tactic that the left uses. The Frankfurt School, uh, Herbert Marcuse and others, uh, developed this idea that certain ideas, uh, basically conservative and Christian ones, were not uh, not to be debated. They were they were just to be sh- shut out, shut down. Right? You so. Uh, it, the idea was repressive tolerance, right? So you were, you, there are certain things that cannot be tolerated, and the, uh, the theology and thinking of conservative Christians was right at the center of what could not be tolerated. So it all boils down to, in the, uh, to the left or the progressives, whatever you want to call them, uh, taking this approach. Shut up, they explained. Shut up, they explained. <laughs> right. They will say, and, and this is what it's reduced to, they will say that literal violence is free speech, and free speech is literally violence. So, so uh, they, if, if they burn down Portland, or if they burn down a bunch of cities because they don't like a verdict that came out of a, uh, a trial somewhere, they will say, well, this is just people expressing, this is democracy in action. This is we're, they're expre- they're expressing their views, um, so they say that violence is free speech. But if you stand up and say at a school board meeting, you know, I don't think that we ought to be teaching our kids that boys can be girls and girls can be boys, they will say that that speech of yours is literally violence and must and you must be shut up, you must be shut down. So cancel culture is not just people with different opinions saying we don't want to associate with you anymore. Because I think that's what some people are thinking. That's all that is. Hey, you, you disagree with me, and therefore, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to associate with you. Isn't, isn't that legitimate? Or you're saying that's not what yeah, this is? Yeah, that's legitimate. Yeah, if, if you don't like the song, turn the, change the channel on the radio. You know, if you, if you don't like the song, then, then listen to a different playlist. That is simply freedom. That's, that's just liberty. Um, if you don't like what somebody says, well, then don't hang out with them. Uh, if you don't like uh, that guy's speech, speeches, don't listen to those that guy's speeches. That, that's freedom. That's fine. But uh, cancel culture says because I don't like that guy's speech, he shouldn't be allowed to say it to anybody. 
And that's what I call totalitolerance. Uh, uh, totalitolerance is in the name of tolerance and freedom of expression, we shut up anybody who disagrees with us. Do you think that cancel culture can be canceled? Or do you think it's here to stay? I think it can be answered and thwarted. I, b- I believe if someone stood up and argued for canceled, cancel culture, I think he should be allowed to say his piece. If he wants to argue for cancel culture, knock yourself out. It's your turn to the microphone. But if he wants to impose cancel culture, no. All right, l- let me think about it. No. If you, if you say, I cannot say the certain things, I'm going to say, watch me say them. I'm going to say them anyway. So uh, cancel culture can be answered, but I don't think we should fight fire with fire. I don't think we should cancel cancel culture, but I do think we can refute it, and I do think we can refuse to play along with it. Doug, in your book, um, you talk about reformers, and, and, and there's a whole list right. of reformers. What is a reformer? Everybody, every Christian knows that this world is broken, and there are a lot of things about our world, about our society that need to change. Um, but, the, but there's a difference between, uh, this is a distinction I make in the book, between a reformer and a revolutionary. A re- revolutionary says the world's messed up and I've, it's got to change. A reformer says the world's messed up and it's got to change. But the revolutionary is impatient. Uh, we want change and we demand it now. Right, that's what that's what they're saying. The the revolutionary is impatient, and consequently, when they reform society, they generally make a bigger mess than was ever there before. So, a revolutionary is someone who who demands immediate results and has not weighed the costs of what is happening. Christians, on the other hand, are reformers. The historian Christ, Christopher Dawson once said that that the church lives in the light of eternity and can afford to be patient. Mm. Right. We, are, we are not impatient because, because we serve the eternal God. Um, everything God has all of this on his timetable. He uses his sons and daughters as his servants, and we can trust the outcome to him. So I don't know that if I'm doing some good work, I don't know if it's going to bear fruit in 10 minutes or in 10 years or 100 years, mm. but that's not up to me. Doug, I think many of us see the culture heading in a direction that we think is not good, and we want to reform it. We want to form it in such a way that is healthier and produces blessing and protection for our kids and our grandkids. Right. How do we do that without, we don't right. want to be reactionary revolutionaries. How do we not just uh, follow the current narratives and begin to shape them in a new direction? Well, one of the things you're going to need is in order to reform, this is something that Chesterton pointed out, in order to reform something, you have to have some understanding of the form that you're trying to get it to conform to. You can't put things right unless you have some understanding of what went wrong. Right. Right. So uh, the, re- the revolutionary has an ideological utopian vision of fluffy clouds and unicorns. You know, let's just pay everybody a livable wage and let's just make everybody happy and everybody rich and free chocolate milk for everybody. That's their idea of this paradise. That's, the, that's what they want to lurch into. The Christian wants to weigh the options and he wants to push in the direction of the ideal form, but at the same time being patient. And the great Thomas Sowell once pointed out the difference Uh, between conservatives and liberals on just this point. He said that liberals 
tend to think in terms of solutions. And conservatives tend to think in terms of trade-offs, right? So conservatives always think there's a price tag. If, if we spend a million dollars on this project, the conservative thinks, and that's a million dollars we're not going to have somewhere else, okay? The liberal thinks in terms of, here's a problem, let's pass a bill, let's fix it, let's appropriate the money, and they don't think in terms of the price tag. And so consequently, that causes a, a glaring problem in the next generation, another problem, and the liberals of that era say, let's solve it, not realizing that the, this problem is the direct result of our previous solution, <laughs> right? We, we're, we're, it's, the, it's the bill coming due. So uh, conservatives always think in terms of trade-offs. If I do this good deed to this person here, that means I can't be across town doing another good deed for someone else. I've got to think in terms of balance, living a life of balance. Mm. That makes you more reflective. That, may, that means you think about your good deeds before you rush into them, as opposed to just ready, fire, aim. That's a great point. You go through in your book um, several rules for reformers. And, and this is a play on a book called Rules for Radicals, right? Uh, and I right. find that that's very right. interesting. This idea of rules for radicals, that was written by Saul Alinsky. And who was that book right. dedicated to? Oh, Satan, I believe. I think it was <laughs> Satan, the, the original yeah. radical. And here's your answer to this for Christians who want to push back on this cancel culture and reform things in a healthy way. Uh, Doug, I want to just mention some of these. Explain, explain what this is. Uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why is that an important rule for reformers to know? Um, because that gives us the baseline standard. If Jesus Christ is not the same yesterday, today, and forever, then everything's in flux. And you're, you're trying to fix things in a relativistic world. Well, but that but that's means that you're trying to shape a shapeless mass of goo, right? You, you, can't, you can't put things back together unless there's some structural form or rigidity. And in order to have that, you have to have a standard. And in our relativistic culture, everything is shapeless and mushy and... And, and you need to be a, a, a believer in objective truth, truth that doesn't change. And that's why it's important for Christ to be acknowledged as the one who does not change. How about this? Reformers must cultivate a high sense of humor. Why is that important? <laughs> yeah. This is a riffing off of uh, Saul, Saul Alinsky. Uh, I think it's his Rules for Radicals number six. He said a good tactic is one that your people enjoy. Right. And and people in people who are um, enjoying themselves, even if it's in a conflict, uh, if you're in a fighting unit where there are jokes and where there are people enjoying themselves, that's a unit with high morale and a unit with high morale is going to be more effective than a, a despondent unit. Mm. Right. So one of the things you want to do is you want to be doing things that your people enjoy. You want to uh, maintain a sense of humor so that you don't fall into the trap of taking yourself too seriously. You want to take the cause seriously without taking yourself seriously. And if you do that, uh, you're going to be much more effective in the fight. Doug, I love this one. Reform reformers must always remember that religion shapes culture and culture trumps politics. 
too many conservative Christians have thought if we just elect a good guy congressman, if we just if we just um, get the right guy into D.C. or the right guy into Congress, it'll solve our problems. And we put too much confidence. We, we invest too much emotional capital in that. And, and the most recent example, of course, would be the disappointment that many Christians had about the failure of the red wave to materialize in the midterm elections. But for Christians, our God is in heaven. He's, God, God did not uh, wake up the day after the midterm election despondent because of how things went. God has no, pro- as Corey Ten Boom once said, God has no problems, on- only plans. So God has no problems, only plans. And if we're thinking his thoughts after him, then we can uh, be effective working toward the, the good ends, but without investing emotional capital in our politicians or in our plans or in our schemes, which will always disappoint us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Doug, I love that in your your book, Rules for Reformers, you talk about the fact that reformers cannot be neutral. And that's so true. I I remember Jesus uh, in the scripture saying things like, if you're not for me, you're against me, right? He he who's not gathering is scattering. And and yet some yes. people feel like somehow I can straddle the line, I can be in this neutral zone where I don't want to get involved in politics, I don't want to be a culture warrior, but you're saying that, no, you're either on one side or the other. Why do you take yeah. such a, a, a harsh view on that? It would go back to Genesis chapter 3. After our first parents fell, uh, God comes down and he establishes what I think is the fundamental ordering um, framework for all of human history. And that is he puts antipathy between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. There's uh, going to be just constant war, constant antipathy between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And this is why when Jesus goes against his adversaries and he calls them uh, a brood of vipers, that's just not name calling. He's identifying them with the, with the serpent, mm. right? You're, you're of your father, the devil. And the woman who is led astray by the serpent is going to have her vengeance. Um, she, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the ser- seed of the serpent. And the, the struggle between these two uh, ways submitting to God and receiving his forgiveness and wanting to establish the, the rule of man, that, that is constant throughout all human history. And anybody who says, well, there's a third way. I don't have to, be this, I don't have to be, act in line with the seed of the woman. I don't have to act in line with the seed of the serpent. I can be this third, third way neutral party. But that's not what God said in Genesis 3. Mm. There are only two. There are only two options. So you could pretend to be neutral for a time. Or you can be pretend to be neutral for a time, but it's all going to come crashing down. If you jump out of an airplane, jump out of an airplane without a parachute, you can pretend that you're flying. You can pretend that your flying time is your neutral zone, 
but it's not going to last forever. I know that there are critics who say, well, yeah, but what you're really pushing for is not uh, democracy, which is what we are here in America, but a theocracy. You're trying to shove religion onto people who don't want it. And how do you respond to them? Yeah, I would say that I trust our willingness to not cram our beliefs down their throat better than I trust their willingness to not cram theirs down our throat. So the thing that we have to understand is that the liberties we enjoy here in America, uh, freedom of speech and those sorts of things, those freedoms were invented by Christians. Right? So when, you, when America was closer to its founding, and it was a Christian nation, a Christian culture, there was a Christian consensus close to our founding, um, when that happened, we were the ones who developed freedoms for non-believers. The secular culture right now, what, what are they hammering out? Well, this goes back to the beginning of our discussion. Their model for engagement is cancel culture. So in my vision for a Christian town, if someone says, well, would this atheist or would this Buddhist or this Muslim be able to speak in your Christian town? I'd say absolutely. And I would say to the secularist, will I be able to speak in, the town, in, in, in your vision of a secular town? And the answer is absolutely not, because they've defined my views as hate crimes. How would you envision uh, America looking if Moscow went nationwide? Is, is that even possible in the multicultural, pluralistic society we live in? Well, it's, it's not possible without a massive reformation and revival, because this is all to be done by persuasion. This is all to be done by the gospel working its way through the population. It's not done by coercion. It's not done in a top-down sort of way. Mm. It's done by people uh, coming to Christ and surrendering their lives to Christ because someone presented the gospel to them. Yeah. Now, if that happened, I was recently asked by uh, Ann Thompson of, of Meet the Press. I was recently asked, "What would Moscow look like? What would Moscow look like? Uh, how would it be different if if it became a Christian town?" And my answer surprised her. I said, "It would be a lot more tolerant." I'm 69 years old. I was born in 1953, and I and I know that the America I'm living in right now is a lot more polarized and a lot less tolerant than it was when I was a young man. It just it, it doesn't even begin to compare. We have we have lost our ability to respectfully talk with one another. And I would say back back in the day when we could respectfully talk with one another. That was closer to the day when we were closer to our Christian roots. The farther we've gotten away from our Christian roots, the less tolerance we have for one another. I love that you're pointing out uh, that a reformer is someone who first reforms himself. It starts with the gospel. First, my heart needs to be reformed so that I'm no longer pursuing self and my own empire of dirt, my own mini make-believe kingdom, uh, where I've set myself up on my own, um, you know, pretend throne, and I'm beginning to serve God. Now I can reform my marriage. Now I can reform my home. And now a community of people come together who want to reform together their society. It's an inside-out, bottom-up job. And I love that because that's the biblical way. Our, our second president, John Adams, once said, our constitution presupposes a moral and a religious people he said, it is wholly unfit for any other. That's right. So our constitution 
form and freedom together presupposes the Spirit of God in people, enabling them to be self-governed, enabling them to be self-controlled. Because if everybody's out of control, if everybody's a slave to their own lusts, you need riot control cops to knock everybody on the head every 10 minutes to keep things in order. But if the people are self-governed, if the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control, is in evidence in the population, then you're going to have quiet and orderly life together. You're going to have mutual respect. You're going to have all kinds of things that we can't have now because we're enslaved to our lusts. Is there ever a point in time where Christians are just better off leaving places that are intolerant of their views? Uh, uh, smacking the dust off our sandals, so to speak, and just saying, hey, well, if you don't like our, our way of thinking, we'll just go somewhere else. Kind of like the pilgrims did when they left England. Yeah. And they said, we're getting on a boat and we're going somewhere else. The reformers in the Great Reformation said that when you're confronted with societal evils, there are three basic responses that you can uh, that are lawful. One is that you can preach against the evil. You can witness against the evil, which is what your prophets and, and ministers do. The second thing is you can flee. Jesus said, when you're persecuted in one town, flee to the next. So that's an honorable and a decent thing to do. And that's what the Pilgrim Fathers did. That's what the Puritans did. They left retreat. England. It was a strategic retreat. They came to America. And then the third thing was only something done in extreme cases, and that is you take up defensive arms against um, uh, the encroachments of your liberty. But uh, fleeing and going somewhere else was certainly a noble option. The Lord commended it. Our problem is there's nowhere to go. But uh, back in the 17th century, you could go to America. But where are we going to go? Now, there's a, uh, an approximation of this happening because in America right now, there's a great resort happening where people are fleeing blue states and going to places like Texas and Idaho and Tennessee. Um, Idaho was one of the uh, one of the top destination um, yeah. states for people relocating. And in an ironic twist, because of the COVID scare, a lot of a lot of people went remote in their work because of COVID. And they demonstrated to their boss that they could work remotely. And we've had a number of people move here to Moscow because they COVID proved that they could do their job remotely. And so they said, well, why not do it remotely from Idaho and be around other Christians? So uh, there are a lot of people who are, uh, who are um, moving to a more strategic location. But I would point out that you can't run away forever. Right. They're, they're, that we, we need to have certain key places where we take a stand. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.